The DSR Listener Survey is now here. Your voice matters, and we want to hear it. So please take a moment to fill out the survey and help us make our podcasts even better. You can find a link to the survey in the show description below. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily. Welcome to a new week. I am David Rothkopf, one of your co-hosts, joined as ever by Chris Cotmore, another co-host. How are you doing, Chris? Doing great, thanks. And Riley Fessler. How are you doing, Riley? Doing well. What do you got, Riley? Yeah, so one of the big stories from over the weekend was this incident in an airport in Dagestan where a mob essentially stormed stormed the airport and they were essentially there to try and find Israelis off of this flight from Tel Aviv, which is, you know, it's kind of another incident in this growing worldwide trend of anti-Semitic incidents after the start of the conflict in Israel. So in this instance, 60 people were arrested uh, by Russian authorities. They haven't announced charges yet, but they've announced that they're essentially open an investigation. And then on the U.S. front, there was an incident at Cornell University where threatening anti-Semitic messages were sent to the Jewish organization on campus. And this has prompted the Biden administration to announce new measures to try and combat anti-Semitism on college campuses. So just a worrying trend worldwide as this continues to be an issue. Yeah, it seems to be a growing issue, seems to be manifesting itself everywhere around the planet very rapidly, very disturbingly. The Biden administration is is definitely um, uh, targeting it. I would add that you know there seems to be a lot of effort on the part of some groups um, to label people as anti-Semites who are just simply criticizing the Israeli government, for example. That's not anti-Semitism, and we don't have to go and pretend that it exists where it doesn't, because it exists worldwide right now. It exists deeply within the United States as well as in, in Europe, um, and uh, it's a problem. And I think uh, uh, it's going to be uh, uh, one that in the weeks ahead, if this uh, Israeli operation in Gaza goes as one expected to go, is going to get worse. So I think we need to buckle up. The administration and governments around the world are going to need to buckle up and do something about it. Because what we saw in Dagestan yesterday was super ugly. It was a pogrom. It was exactly the way the Russians behaved 100 years ago. Um, and, uh, uh, clearly, um, we do not need historical echoes to remind us, uh, of how dangerous this kind of thing can be just as, uh, Islamophobia, which has manifested itself, uh, around the world and in the United States also during this period is exceedingly dangerous. We, we need to do without either Chris. The judge in the 2020 election uh, subversion case, Tanya Chukin, reinstated the gag order on former President Trump, which was temporarily lifted to allow his defense attorneys to argue the constitutionality of the order. Um, I saw a tweet from Frank, Frank Figluzzi, who it's the tweet said, this, this isn't a free speech issue, it's a public safety rule of law issue. Um, my issue here is the the gag order was in place. Trump violated the gag order in multiple times, was fined $10,000. Um, and until 
these gag orders have some teeth, which I know there are threats of, but you know, the fact putting a former president behind bars, um, you know, could, could be problematic, but I see this as something that needs to happen if he violates this gag order again, because like $10,000 fines aren't going to do shit. You know, they, he doesn't care. He's just going to go out and say what he's going to say. The damage is done. It's like, you know, when you're in a courtroom and you object, well, the big deal, the damage is done. So I'm hoping to see some teeth with the reinstatement. The proof that your position is uh, well-founded is that Within moments of Chutkin reinstating the gag order, Trump tweeted out uh, uh, an attack on Bill Barr, who is a witness in this trial, you know, and you're not allowed to intimidate witnesses. And if you don't think, you know, you know, if you think that somehow Trump being nasty to Bill Barr is not witness intimidation, Trump is still the most powerful man in the Republican Party. And if he starts sending a message, look, you go against me, I'm going to go beat you up publicly. That can be chilling on the candor of witnesses. The reason, as Frank Fugluzzi points out, that we have gag orders is because if we didn't, um, our trial, our system uh, of justice in this country would not work properly. Riley? Yeah, so uh, President Biden today is going to sign a pretty far-reaching executive order on AI um, and this is something we've been talking about a lot on our shows, um, the dangers AI poses. I encourage people to go check out those spy show and we're all going to die radio episodes where we talk a lot about AI. Um, but this order does a lot, too much to talk about here, but some of the highlights, it would require developers to share safety test results and other information with the government uh, invoking the Defense Production Act. Um, the Commerce Department will issue guidance and label and watermark AI-made content. And then the National Institute of Standards and Technology will create standards to make sure AI tools are safe and secure before public release. So that kind of three of the biggest things, basically just invoking different agencies to try and curb some of this development, make sure that it's safe um, and secure before it just goes out in the wild as it kind of has been. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely a concern for the Biden administration. Definitely a good thing that they're stepping up and doing this. Uh, having said that, these are comparatively modest measures, the impact of AI is going to affect every aspect of society, and it's going to do it globally. So any one country acting unilaterally is probably not going to be able to successfully contain what is happening. Um, and uh, uh, this is just the beginning. And someday, 10 years from now, you'll look back and you'll see probably entire government departments devoted to this, um, because it is just so massive and touches Everything from what is a job? How does a job work? What is privacy? What is creativity? Who owns creativity? How are wars um, fought? How does inequality grow in a society? How do economies work, etc.? So this is a massive tip of the iceberg, a first move, but certainly not the last. Chris? Last evening, Vice President Kamala Harris was interviewed on 60 Minutes. Um, I'd say this probably qualifies as a good news story or better news story. Um, but one, in, and I'll get into specifics, but I thought she came off looking extremely uh, vice presidential, maybe even presidential. I thought her comments about Israel 
in terms of the United States is not telling Israel what to do and pledging that no U.S. troops will be on the ground in Gaza or in in Gaza um, were pretty strong statements echoing what the administration has been kind of saying. Um, but that she also said that Israel had the right to defend themselves. Uh, they were attacked by a terrorist organization. Um, and, you know, she, she believes, as we believe, that they have a right to defend themselves. But the one quote that really got me with her was, you know, they asked her about low approval ratings. And she said, you know, I could care less. Our democracy is at stake here. Um, and we have to do everything in our power to protect it. Those are the leaders that I want fighting each and every day for for our freedoms, um, our laws, our rights. And I thought she came off very nicely last night. Totally agree. Glad to see she's getting some of the exposure uh, that she deserves, uh, that we are moving past some of the ridiculous narratives of early on. She's a very effective vice president. I talk to people in the White House all the time. She is highly regarded. And I would say, with regard to things like this Israel-Gaza thing, she is in every serious meeting that takes place with the president on these issues, giving advice, giving um, counsel, and playing a role that the people who are in those meetings say to me is extremely valuable. She tests things. Uh, people may remember the way she she worked when she was a senator and she handled questioning during investigations. They, they say she works that way uh, in the White House, behind the scenes, um, and it makes everything they do stronger. So excellent, um, excellent to see that uh, portrayed as it is uh, on 60 Minutes last night. Riley? So China's uh, annual military forum started on Sunday, um, and it was notable for a couple of reasons, the first of which is that it's usually hosted by the defense minister. And as we covered last week, there is no defense minister. Um, so took on a different dynamic in that way. But also, interestingly enough, the U.S. Defense Department sent a delegation in the meeting, um, and it was led by the China Country Director in the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense, and they essentially said they were there to listen um, and take part. So Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu gave remarks condemning the West for its involvement in Ukraine war, you know, the typical fare, not, nothing too surprising there, and China gave some kind of veiled criticism of the U.S., accusing, quote, some countries of trying to undermine China's government. But also, they stressed the importance of improving military ties with the U.S. So Russia, unsurprisingly, nothing but condemnation for the West. But China mentioning some uh, opportunities to open doors there, which I thought was really interesting. Certainly is. Russia's the junior partner in that relationship, as we uh, also heard uh, in the past 24 hours. Um, uh, Russia has a great representation in the United States government with the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Uh, who has decided uh, that he is not going to put forth uh, a further aid package for Ukraine right now. Uh, he's going to try to strip the Israel package out from the package proposed by the president. Why? Because he doesn't think anything going on in Ukraine is that urgent. Does he have any experience with these issues? No. Um, does he understand them? Obviously not. Uh, and yet he has strong views. I wonder why he has strong views. Well, one of the stories that popped up over the weekend also was that a bunch of Russians managed to actually donate money to his campaign using a 
foreign uh, corporation as a as a as a conduit for it, uh, just as is the case across the uh, GOP and uh, uh, some of their big supporting uh, entities like the NRA. Uh, Chris, so my last story was Mike Johnson's uh, declaration that he was going to seek aid. Um, only for Israel and not Ukraine. Um, I can expand a little bit more on that. I think it's a mistake, obviously. It's, it's, it's like people pay attention to, you know, what's right in front of them. This Ukraine-Russia war has been going on uh, for a long time. I think people have kind of grown numb. Um, but yesterday, I I edited and released a podcast. Um, Michael Weiss interviewed uh, Dr. Anthony Tingle, and he had just come back from Ukraine um, and had some extraordinary footage um, of what was going on. I urge people to listen to that podcast. Uh, Ukraine, obviously, is an important story. It's important that we continue to support them. Through sanctions, through financial um, bill passages, in whatever possible way we can, um, because you know that it's 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 an it's a critical part of of the world, um, and it's critical for you know our relationships, uh, and also in in halting sort of Russia's you know move forward in in Europe. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people say we can walk. Uh, and chew gum at the same time in the United States. We can certainly support both of these things. We certainly should play the role that the administration has been laying out in both of them. But I want to say something here to our listeners that's that kind of candid perspective that I, I think we specialize in. What's going on in Ukraine is much more important geopolitically than what's going on between Israel and Gaza. What's going on between Israel and Gaza is important to the Israelis, it's important to Gaza, it has regional ramifications. But if Russia is able to go in unchecked into Ukraine, the threat to the rest of Europe, the threat to Russia's other neighbors, um, the message it sends about NATO and the strength of NATO and its ability to deter um, could lead to vastly um, uh, more dangerous outcomes uh, in the years ahead. Russia needs to be stopped. Furthermore, if you are outraged by what has happened to the Israelis um, from Hamas, or you are outraged by what has happened to civilians in in, in Gaza um, as a result of Israeli attacks, all of that stuff is happening um, every day on a much greater scale uh, in Ukraine. And it has been for a long, long time. And I would encourage everybody to remember that Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine began in 2014. This is the 10th year of that war. Um, so the stakes are higher, the scope is higher, the cost is higher, the urgency for the US and our allies is higher. It's not to say we shouldn't pay attention to the other one. We need to do both. But to ignore this one, particularly since, as we will talk about in upcoming episodes of the podcast, and I think we've got one with Michael Weiss and Mark Palmeropoulos tomorrow, um, the Ukrainians have been making a lot of progress in the past few weeks that people have not been giving them credit for. Uh, this is something we want to capitalize on. Cutting off their aid flow certainly won't do that. For now, uh, we look forward to the week. We're going to cover a lot of these stories in greater depth during our podcast in the week ahead. 
Uh, uh, those podcasts are produced and guided by guess who? Chris and Riley. Um, so that's why their perspectives each and every day are so important. Uh, thank you, Riley. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>